Can we just have a few moments of prayer? Father God, we thank you for the gift of your word. As we think on these things, open our hearts and minds to hear your word to us. Through my weak human words, give us grace to hear your true and living word. Send your Holy Spirit among us, we pray, that we might understand and meditate upon your word and hold it in our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 to 27. The events of our Bible reading today are really interesting and a little unusual in some ways, but they give us great insight into the attributes of Jesus. We've seen over the last several weeks as we have travelled through Matthew's Gospel, the revealing of Jesus to his disciples as the promised Messiah. At the end of last week's Bible reading, Jesus predicts his own death for the second time. With any events today, in today's reading, concerning the paying of the temple tax, and a miracle involving a fish with a coin in its mouth, that may at first glance seem to be a departure from the direction of travel of this gospel, but it actually serves to deepen our understanding of Jesus and his sacrifice for us. It's interesting to note that the events today are only recorded in Matthew. They do not appear in any of the other Gospels. What may have caught Matthew's attention to this particular story could have been because, if you remember, Matthew was a tax collector by trade. Jesus performing a miracle involving taxes would have been right up Matthew's street. I suppose in the same way that performing a miracle with a fish would be a particular interest to Peter. However, I think the main reason Matthew was led by the Holy Spirit to tell this story when the writers of the other Gospels did not is because it spoke particularly to his Jewish audience about Jesus himself. Remember, Matthew is a gospel written mainly to a Jewish audience of the time. Our story centres around the payment of the temple tax. And indeed, with Peter being approached and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? For us to properly understand this passage, we need to know a little bit about what the temple tax actually was. The tax being collected has its roots in Old Testament Jewish law. At the time when the law was being given to God through Moses, God commanded that a particular tax be collected any time that a census of the people was being taken. At that time, Moses, at the time of Moses, this tax was used for the tabernacle. In Jesus' day, the money was used for public sacrifice and for the upkeep of the temple. 
all Jewish males aged 20 and older had to pay a temple tax every year. The amount Matthew tells us is about two drachma, the equivalent of half a shekel, about two days' wages for the average worker. Now the tax was not a tax collected on behalf of Rome, such as the taxes that Matthew would have collected were. They were most probably collected by temple commissioners. It is these collectors who came to Peter to ask if Jesus would be paying the temple tax. Exodus chapter 30 tells us, each one must pay the Lord a ransom for his life. Several times in Exodus chapter 30, reference is made to the significance of the collection of this half shekel for each man, given as a ransom. It was an offering to the Lord to make atonement for themselves. God counted that half shekel as a ransom for the life of the man who gave it, the life that was being numbered in the census. And it's not mere coincidence that attention is drawn to Jesus through the performance of a miracle with respect to this particular tax. The Old Testament is full of types and shadows of what is to come. That tax from long ago pointed ahead to Jesus as the ransom for the life of every person who placed their trust in him. The Bible tells us that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Jesus himself said that for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This story isn't there to tell us of a valuable place to go fishing. It's meant to point our attention to Jesus Christ. It's meant to speak particularly to the Jewish people, but it's also meant to speak to all of us who need redemption. It's about Jesus, who is not only the long-awaited King of the Jews, but he himself is the atonement for sin and the ransom for the soul that the Jewish law was meant to point to. When Peter is asked if Jesus pays the temple tax, he answers yes. Perhaps in a misguided attempt to save Jesus from embarrassment. What follows shows us one of the attributes of Jesus Christ. His omniscience. His knowledge of all things past, present and future. We can see this in how he greeted Peter as soon as Peter walked into the house. Jesus and his disciples had just returned from their travels. They had gone to the mountain where he had revealed himself to Peter, James and John 
in glory at his transfiguration. And no sooner did they return to Capernaum along the shores of the Sea of Galilee than Peter is approached by those who collect a half-shekel tax for the temple. There's two aspects here that are worthy of note. This is not the same tax as we mentioned earlier that that Matthew would have collected as a tax collector. He collected the tax from his own people on behalf of the occupying Roman government. The tax in our passage today is not that tax. Rather, this was a tax collected by the Jewish people, from the Jewish people, for the benefit of the Jewish people's temple. Now, the Jews objected fiercely to the tax that Matthew had collected on behalf of Rome. But they would not have objected to the tax that was being collected in our passage today. They would have felt obliged to contribute to the maintenance of the temple. But a second thing to note is that this tax, although based on Old Testament law, was not at this time fully in keeping with all the requirements of the Old Testament law. The passage from Exodus chapter 30 required this tax be collected whenever a census was being taken. But here we see no census being taken at all. Some New Testament scholars have speculated that this, from this that the paying of the tax read about in this passage had become over time a voluntary custom rather than a strict legal requirement. There may not have been any actual legal necessity to pay it, even though there was strong social pressure and societal pressure to do so. This pressure is seen in the wording of the question that those who collect the the tax ask Peter. Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Their question was constructed to anticipate a positive answer. A bit like, I suppose, saying your teacher does pay the temple tax, doesn't he? Such a question wouldn't have been needed to be asked if it was a legal requirement. However, maybe the tax gatherers had doubts whether or not Jesus would do what the other Jewish men felt obliged to do. After all, Jesus was gaining a reputation in the eyes of the Jewish authorities as a, someone who would break the Sabbath. He was often found to be at odds with the religious leaders of the day. Perhaps they wondered if he also thought himself to be above paying the usual temple tax as well. It's most likely that Peter intended to mention the tax collectors to Jesus. But it's then that we see this clear indication of Jesus' omniscience. When Peter returns home, before he has said a word, Jesus asks him a question about taxes. Jesus knew the thoughts of his disciple Peter before he even had a chance to utter a word and asked about the very subject that Peter had in mind. In John chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, we are told that Jesus knew all men 
and had no need that anyone should testify for man, for he knew what was in man. What a comfort and peace that gives us. Just think for a moment. Jesus knows what's in our hearts even better than we do. He is able to answer our deepest questions before we even know to ask them. We can be an utterly open book to Jesus and say to him, as King David wrote in Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. All our questions, all our doubts, all our fears, all our temptations, even the most intimate thoughts of our minds, even the things we are so ashamed of that we dare not express, are all known to Jesus. And here's the thing. He loves us anyway. With a love so strong it took him to the cross of Calvary to be that ransom for us all. Jesus speaks to Peter about taxes in order to teach him something. He asked a question about what was on Peter's mind in order to set Peter thinking about it even more. He says, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? Jesus asks him this not because he wanted Peter's opinion, but because he wanted to steer Peter's thinking in the right direction about himself. And this leads us to the second thing that this story reveals to us about Jesus. The thing that Jesus wanted Peter to understand about himself. His deity. Jesus holds supremacy as the Son of God. He is the promised Messiah. I think it's interesting that Jesus used Peter's old name here. He called him Simon and not Peter. If you cast your mind back to chapter 16, Jesus gave him the name Peter in order to emphasise that he was a rock of a man who stood strong upon the solid confession of faith in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. But I think that he called Peter Simon here because he was behaving a lot like his old self, not like the rock of a man. He was once again being mindful of the things of men and not the things of God like in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23, when Peter rebuked Jesus for predicting, his own, for predicting his own death. 
he was not evaluating Jesus rightly. You see, Peter had assumed that Jesus felt himself to be obligated to the temple tax that everyone else felt obligated to. He assumed that in that respect, Jesus was just like everyone else. But that's when Jesus surprised him with a tax question that revealed Jesus' supremacy over such obligations. What do you think, Simon? Jesus asked. From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from others? I do sometimes wonder when you read the Gospels if there were times when Peter was a little afraid to answer questions from Jesus. He certainly knew the correct answer. But he may not have been sure exactly where this was going. And maybe, maybe it's just me, but I wonder if Peter maybe didn't answer that question with just a little hesitancy in his voice. From others, he replied. He gave the right answer. And Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. The implication of Jesus' answer here was that he was the Son of God. Which, of course, Peter already knew. And as the Son of God was under no obligation at all to pay a tax collected among men for the upkeep of the temple of his Father. This was nothing less than a bold assertion of Jesus' supremacy as the Son of God over the temple tax and even over the temple itself. If you remember, Jesus said something similar to this to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12. They'd accused Jesus of breaking the Sabbath because he and his disciples were rubbing raw grain in their hands and eating the kernels. Jesus reminded the Pharisees of how the law of God had permitted the priests who worked in the temple on the Sabbath to profane the Sabbath by performing their duties, yet remain blameless. And then Jesus shocked them all by saying, I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. Similarly, in our passage this morning, Jesus is saying that as the son of him who is lord of the temple. He is under no obligation to pay the temple tax. Such a tax is only rightly collected from others or strangers as it's sometimes translated and not from those who are sons. The prophet Malachi says in chapter 3 verse 1 the lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. Jesus is claiming to be that very Lord of the temple. He's claiming to be exempt from the tax that should only be levied on strangers, not on sons of the king. The temple was a place where the sinner met the thrice holy God to receive forgiveness and favour. And everything that the temple was intended to achieve for the sinner 
before Jesus came has now been accomplished by Jesus on the cross. It's all now ours by grace through faith in him. As the Son of God, he is supreme in the Father's favour. And in him we now are as free before the Father as he is. Let that thought resonate for just a moment. You and I, as free, blameless and innocent as Jesus is, before God. Our sins are not only forgiven. Scripture tells us they are blotted out. It's as if they never existed. If we will only turn to him in faith, surrender to him, what an amazing God we serve. Even though he is supreme, even though he is exempt from the temple tax as the son of the king, Jesus shows his meekness in condescending to pay the temple tax for himself and Peter. Jesus says, But so that we may not offend them, and sets Peter off to pay the tax. Now the word here that is translated offend can also mean to cause someone to stumble. This suggests that though Jesus is the Lord of the temple and is under no obligation to pay the temple tax, he nevertheless sees to it that it is done so that an unnecessary stumbling block would not be placed before the Jewish people. And just look at how Peter was to pay this tax. Jesus said, Go to the lake, throw out your line, Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. This shows another attribute of Jesus, his authority, his authority over the details of life. Jesus didn't tell Peter to throw a net in the water and pull out a lot of fish. Instead he sent Peter off to cast a single hook into the water. He didn't even tell him exactly where to cast the hook. He just said, go and cast a hook in. And he didn't tell Peter to keep on casting the hook and keep on pulling out fish till he found one with a coin in its mouth. He said to pull out the very first fish and that he would find the money in the mouth of the very first one that he caught. Just think for a moment what had to happen for this miracle to take place. Somewhere 
either upon or by the shores of the Sea of Galilee, someone lost hold of a coin that was worth roughly two days' wages for a common working man and watched it fall into the water. Now imagine that coin as it sank in the sea, twirling and whirling as it descends, glistening and flashing as it captures the sunlight reflecting through the water. Then imagine a large fish came swimming by at just that moment, that precise moment. Imagine how it was attracted to the sparkling object that was sinking through the water. Imagine how it instinctively struck and swallowed that object, only to be surprised, well, in as much as I suppose a fish can be surprised, surprised by the fact that it was hard and cold. Imagine the fish, fish then doing its best to spit out the coin that was now lodged in its gullet as it swam away to other regions beneath the Sea of Galilee, searching no doubt for a more palatable morsel, let's say, than the one that was now stuck in its mouth. And now know that all these seemingly insignificant events the wage earner accidentally losing a coin, the sinking of the coin to a specific part in the sea, a fish coming by and swallowing it, swimming away, were all under the control of a sovereign God. Know that all these things were part of his purposeful plan. The circumstances of life, and life can be hard, the circumstances of life should never frustrate us when we walk with Jesus. There is nothing that is not under the rule of our sovereign Lord and Master. When he sends us out somewhere to serve his cause in some way, we arrive to find that he has already been there, having arranged everything in advance. Every day, you and I can confirm, as Paul did, that we are the workmanship of God the Father, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is a miracle from a fishing expedition that speaks of God's grace in paying the price for our purification, our sanctification. That coin is a picture of what Jesus would do in dying for our sins. In these few verses this morning, we are blessed to be brought face to face with who Jesus is, his omniscience, his deity, his meekness, his authority, our Messiah, the Son of the living God, the fulfillment of the temple, the one whose sacrificial death on the cross 
paid the ransom debt that was rightfully ours. Debt that we could never pay. Such love, unfailing, everlasting. A free gift that is ours for the taking. The gift of abundant life. The gift of life eternal with him. If we will only turn to him in faith. Reach out to him. No matter what we might have done in our lives. How far we might have strayed. I want to tell you today. His love is greater. His sacrifice is sufficient. Sufficient to wash us clean of every blemish. And make us a new creation. He is reaching out to you. Will you take his hand today? Amen. Just a few words of prayer. Father God, we thank you for who you are. For your love, unfailing, everlasting. A love that took you to Calvary. A sacrifice for us. You provided a way for us. A way to, to pay the debt that we could not pay. The fulfilment of the temple. And we thank you, Father, that on that cross, you uttered the words, It is finished. Help us to truly believe that. Help us, Father, to understand the magnitude of your sacrifice for us. Your unfailing love for us. Help us to live our lives in the blessed assurance we have in Christ. We thank you for that, Father. Help us to know you better and live our lives in worship of you. In Jesus' name, amen.